What a blessing it's been to our hearts to be encouraged through song this morning. And thank you for participating. Um, an equal spiritual blessing to me is hearing you sing and instructing my heart in the word through song. It's an equal blessing to hear you sing as it is to hear instrumentalists play and instruct our hearts in the word and song as well. It's, it's all one grand effort in the word to encourage each other in song. Uh, from instrumentalist to the choir to your singing. It's a, it's a great blessing, so thank you. And uh, each week is very convicting to me. And because uh, I assume that what you sing, you really mean it. And so if you look at the words and you really meditate on the words while you sing, they're pretty powerful. Uh, so sitting behind me are about 400 different preachers that, that preach in my ears every Sunday morning as I sit up here. And it's great. Uh, it's great to be preached to before I get to preach. It's necessary. If you need a Bible to follow along with this morning, our ushers have one available for you. Just lift up your hand, and they'll be glad to find you and, uh, and give you one if you need one to follow along, if you don't have one on your device. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we need your help today as we look into the perfect law of liberty, your word. We pray that we would be faithful hearers, diligent hearers, that what we hear would be ready to to not just hear and meditate upon, but do. As we prayed at the beginning, Lord, the last few words of your word in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 25, those who hear and do are blessed in their deed. And certainly, Lord, as your people, we want to know what your blessing means from your word as we seek to do it as we understand it. So help us today as we ask for help each and every day as we study the word and then on Sundays hear it proclaimed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to draw your attention to chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and just a verse this morning in relationship to what we've been discussing in the last three weeks, but we'll just focus on one verse today. Brethren, Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example. The Apostle Paul is the writer of this letter. For those of you who have just come to know Christ as your Savior, uh, Paul has written about two-thirds of the New Testament. And he writes to this church in Philippi from prison. So this is called, uh, again, for those of you who are newer to God's word, this is what we would call a prison epistle, uh, a prison letter. And it's only called that because the author is writing while he's in prison to this church. Brethren, Paul says, join me in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. 
So he speaks to the whole body at Philippi. We can assume that he's speaking to everyone here who would be in Christ. And he gives them a mandate. It's not, he gives them something to hear by way of command, and he gives them an opportunity to decide. Each one of them, drawing the circle around themselves as they would listen to this letter in Philippi, he asks us to do the same thing here and decide. Join me in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So Paul is saying to the flock, follow my example. And then he says to each saint inside the church of Philippi, that's the next phrase, and observe those. Those would be the people inside their local church, just like you are here at Grace Church in Mentor. Philippi, look around you, right? Look beside you, in front of you, behind you, look around you, and do something. Do something. Observe them. Observe them who are walking according according to the pattern you have in us. So he ends where he begins. Join in following my example. And while you're doing that, look around you, because there's plenty around you who are also living according to God's word and learn from them. And make it a pattern. We're going to look in detail at each one of these verbs and verbals here in this verse in just a little bit. But I want us to understand that God has, has, has almost exclusively created whether it be plant, animal, or humankind. He's almost exclusively created everything and everyone. Um, to partner with something or someone. As a matter of fact, anytime that you find someone or something existing by itself, it's very rare and often problematic for that thing or that person. That's just how God's created things. Anytime man tries to divert from that natural created order, there's, there's, there's some issues, right? Um, just take a moment just to kind of think about that. In, in your life, right? So my wife loves birds, okay? Uh, and she loves plants. If you come to our house, you'll see a greenhouse. And outside our house, you'll see lots of birds. I was uh, watching those birds yesterday morning having my coffee. And they are fascinating. But I noticed uh, those birds don't like to be alone. Right? Two stout chested, fat, bright red cardinals fly up to the bird feeder, right? The males. And right behind them, some beautiful uh, tan colored uh, female cardinals. And uh, they eat, fly away, and then more of other species. 
coming the same way, coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, all during daylight hours. I didn't see any birds who were alone. So that was pretty profound, Pastor Tim. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> right? When I was in high school, I, I, used, to, I used to do a lot of singing, and, and I was in a competition. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, it, it, when you sing, uh, it, it's hard to find a good accompanist who really can be in a, some type of a musical symbiotic relationship where they could really know you and know your tendencies and just play along with you, where they keep you and your solo, the focus, while they are really the magic behind the whole thing. It's very difficult to find a good accompanist. Um, uh, I made it to a certain level of a competition in high school and singing, and uh, I was given an accompanist by the institution where I was singing. I'd never met her before. And I had to practice with her, obviously, before the three rounds of the competition. And uh, within five minutes, dispositionally, she made me feel very comfortable and calm, which I find out is a tremendous gift of an, a good accompanist. Uh, and then when I began to sing in the practice room, uh, they had an ability to watch me and the music at the same time. I don't know how their eyes did that. I can't do that with my eyes, one up and one down, but they do, right? Don't watch them, they really don't do that. It's just a gift that they have. Um, and I had never had an accompanist like that in my life. And all of a sudden it just made me it's just even more calm. It made me really focus on the text of the song that I was singing and I could uh, really sing the story behind the text all because that accompanist was, was working well, and it was wonderful. And I got to the final round, um, and uh, I had won the competition, and this was, a, this was a, an honors recital. And uh, I got through the first line after having sung it three times and won the doggone competition. I got through the first line and went completely blank. I forgot the whole thing I had sung. I would say probably if you include shower, car, <laughs> you know, it's practice thousands of times. I got through the first line. It was a classical piece put to the words of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. <clears throat> You've got to be kidding me. And the first thing, that there was, there was a lot of people there. The first thing I did... I stopped, and who'd I look at? My accompanist. And I just said, so what do I do now? <laughs> I think I'd known her for like three days, you know. And she goes, well, how about if we just start from the beginning again? Dear Lord, calmly. I was like, is that's it? I had never, never screwed up before when I sang. So I was like, that, that's what you do? You just don't pick up where you, no, no, just start from the beginning. It'll be okay. I could see her peripherally. You know, big pleasant smile in my great distress. And she begins to play the introduction again. And, and I sang all the way through it. Um, I was so comfortable 
halfway through the song, the way she made me feel, I started to think about, wow, there's all these high school students out here, and I wonder if the girl I'm going to marry is like listening to me today. <laughs> it's like, who does that? Right? That's how comfortable I was. So I was singing through the song and thinking about, is it, would it be her? She's cute, you know, and <laughs> maybe it's her. I'm thinking through God's word, you know, and, you know, maybe it's her. Who knows? You know, so I was done. And um, the girl who I actually would marry actually was there. Uh, Rhonda was in the, the crowd. And, and to this day, she reminds me how I screwed up <laughs> after the first life. And, uh, but God knew that I could not live my life alone. And he knew that I could not live my life alone without her reminding me about how I screw up in that song. Um, uh, those in the trades, we have a number of uh, roofers here, siders, plumbers, um, electricians. Uh, uh, you have apprentices, don't you? Our government tells us we're kind of in a, a trades crisis because we don't have enough young men coming up interested in the trades who can apprentice with the older guys that, that so we can know who's going to do our electricity and plumbing and roofing someday. Right? So we have a local high school who does a phenomenal job developing a department in their, in, in Mentor High School, inside their school, developing young boys for the trades. And they actually build, I believe, at least one home a year from the ground up so that they can hand off these young boys to the young older men in the community who are in the trade so that they can, it, 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 God doesn't create, okay, anyone or anything in his created order to be exclusively alone. We don't do this in not just the trades, we don't do this in education, we don't do this in medicine, we don't do this if you're a small business owner, you don't do this if you're part of a large corporation, that's why you have paid internships or unpaid internships where kids can come out of college. There's nothing that's part of our created order, nothing or no one that is, that is created by God to exist alone. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that when we look at the Bible and God's giving us his holy preserved word, that we should understand that in the family of God, uh, no one is to exist alone there either. No one or no thing exists exclusively alone if it's going to function well in this earth. Thousands of others examples to this. But it's true here in God's word. We, we've been studying our theme for this year at the beginning of the year, looking and living as we anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't wait, maybe today, but as we anticipate his return, God has used that anticipation in his word to be a significant way in which he helps us govern the way we live. As we await the judge of all the earth, our savior to return, how does that anticipation govern the way we live? We looked at a whole book together, all five chapters of the book of Thessalonians, and we saw that that anticipation should develop a faithfulness 
And that faithfulness starts, continues and ends with God. And that faithfulness is nurtured by each other. And that faithfulness has gospel progress and so many other natural results to it. We're not going to rehearse all that we've gone through in the last month. But we're going to finish this opening little mini-series on looking and living by focusing on chapter 3 and verse 17 of Philippians. Because we realize here, again, spiritually, God has not created us to be alone. That's why he's given us spouses or we long to have one. It is not good for man to be alone. Why do you think Satan fights so hard to take two who are together and bring them apart? Why do you think he fights so hard? Because he knows, as much as you might not think so, right now, in the state of your marriage, he knows it's worse to be alone than it is by God's grace to be together. When he creates you, he creates you to be one plus one equals one. And so we fight hard to make that union work by the grace of God, all right, by the word of God, because... It's spiritually very worth it. When he recreates you, he takes you and Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God baptizes you into Jesus Christ, making you one with him. I am his and he is mine, loved with everlasting love. One plus one equals one again, not just in biological marriage, but in spiritual marriage as well. We don't go through this alone. And in addition to being wed to Christ, he's wed us with a body of Christ that is one, though we're many. And the text that's before us tells us that there were many who were individuals and they followed the example of one, learned from that one, and then replicated his example individually among their flock. This is not difficult to see, and the language here is going to open up and very plainly instruct our hearts along this line. The Bible teaches us, especially in the book of Philippians, that, that it's never good to go alone in life, whether times are good or times are tough. Paul certainly explains in chapter 1 that he would long to be with the Philippian people, but he's in bonds, he's in prison. He longs to see them when he's in prison. He loves prison visitors. <laughs> Can't stand to be away from the body. He says in chapter 4, there were times in his life that the Philippian church were able to make grand by helping him much, but there were times in his life where he lived with nothing. So whether things are great or whether things are really, really tough, we persevere because we've made, made one with Christ, one with a body, and then one with individuals in that body to help us walk that road. The book of Philippians has been fascinating to many of us for so many years for so many reasons, but... I find it fascinating here because this book, as I've told you before when I preached through it years ago, the word gospel is mentioned per line in this book more than any other book in the New Testament. 
If you go through the book, which we're not going to take time to this morning, read through all four chapters. It'll take you about 15, 20 minutes and underline every time you see the word gospel. Then go back through it again and underline every time you see the word partner or fellowship. Partner or fellowship. And then you'll find the word gospel or partner or fellowship are divinely placed at strategic places throughout all four chapters to let us know that this church was, was a tremendously afflicted church from its start. Remember Acts 16? Paul goes to Philippi. There's not a synagogue there. He goes down by the river. He preaches the word. There's some devout ladies there who are born again. One of them's Lydia. They go back to Lydia's home. Her home is saved. A church is started in their home, and then Paul's immediately imprisoned in Philippi because he casts out a demon from a little girl who was very useful to the businessmen in that town. So he's put in prison. That church is born out of affliction. It continued in affliction. Last week when we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we saw one of the natural results of people who are faithfully nurturing each other in disciple making is that this church in Thessalonica could endure through affliction. And Paul says, I came to you from Philippi heavily afflicted, and I come to Thessalonica, and you're heavily afflicted, and we can't go through this affliction alone. So, so whether it's affliction or whether it's glory, right? Whether it's agony or whether it's glory, we don't go through this alone. And Paul says in chapter 1 that the furtherance of the gospel is... is part and parcel because we are, we are going through affliction together. And then he tells us that uh, we're actually graced <laughs> with these afflictions. Verse 29 of chapter 1, God granted these tough times to us. He has gifted us these tough times so that when we go through these tough times together, then there's gospel advancement. The theme in Paul's letter is often similar or sub-theme. Whether agony or whether glory, we go together and there's gospel advancement in both. Okay? So when we detail chapter 3 and verse 17 together, which I'd like to do now as we conclude, I want you to pay attention, if you would, and ask the Spirit of God to help us understand each and every word and phrase here as we continue on. Again, brethren, join in following my example. The word join here, it's a four-letter word. It's short, but it's really um, join in following is, is really uh, three words in a Greek expression here. And it includes the word mimic. Okay. You come alongside me and mimic me and make sure that you make that your lifestyle. Right? So it's two joining for a purpose. Okay. And then in purpose is to imitate the Apostle Paul. Now, you can cross-reference there 1 Thessalonians 1.6 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. God has not asked us to walk our spiritual lives inside the local church alone. 
alone. And he's asking you to decide this reality. This, this particular verb is in, um, I, try to, I try to retool my words because we have um, those who sign in our deaf ministry, which we're abundantly grateful for. But I want to let you know that I, I, I know the Greek words and I know the grammar of those Greek words and I can pronounce those Greek words, but they're hard to translate, right? <laughs> so when I slow down at the explanation of the word, you have to understand what's in my notes and what's in my mind about all that's involved with this word. I have to simplify it. And isn't that wonderful? that we can simplify it just like this. All this word is saying, you need to take it upon yourself to make it a choice to join with someone who's more mature than you are to walk the Christian life. How's that? You need to make that choice. And some of you need to make it today. Some of you, 65% of you have already made it. And you're enjoying it. Okay? If not, you need to take it upon yourself by the grace of God to make it today. God hasn't created you or recreated you in Christ to, to go this alone. And it says here that we're going to be following his example. His example. The word example here just simply means the pattern of his life. How did Paul live out Christ's presence in his life? And then he says here, observe. So he's going to move from their request to take it upon himself to imitate him. And now he's going to say, you've looked forward to me. Now look around you. That's what observe is doing here. Look around you. The word observe here means to watch carefully. To notice detail. Notice detail as you watch. And the idea behind this word as they understood it in the first century was this. You watch carefully and notice with detail and then be ready to respond and help. So you're not just watching and taking notes. You're watching, taking notes, and then you're, you're watching and taking notes because you're going to take the information and then you're going to be able to utilize that information in helping somebody else. That's exactly what it means. I'm fascinated by the Secret Service. How amazingly undistracted they are when protecting the president in a public venue. If you can get your eyes off the president and the crowd that loves him or hates him and then just look at the Secret Service, right, for like 20, 30 straight minutes, right, they're epitomizing this word observe. They're watching with particular detail, every person in their sight. They're taking mental notes. They're profiling so that they could do what? Protect the president. Protect the president. They have meetings regularly, and they'll meet, and they'll compare notes. So they'll not just take what they've observed in particular, 
They'll get collectively everyone's notes and what they observed in particular from what they were watching. And they'll keep layering and layering and layering. I have a friend that used to be on the Secret Service. And when they have these meetings, they just keep layering and logging, layering and logging, layering and logging, layering and logging. They never get rid of the log or the layers of the log. And then they work together to do something, to help someone. And in helping someone, then those who are around that, someone who's helped, are helped. So that's the idea. Lots of illustrations that you have in your own mind about how we could utilize this word observe. But that's what we're supposed to do with each other. Paul is asking the Philippian people, look around you and observe with detail. Those who have been wed to Christ, and how are they living? Because the assumption is, hang on with me here, the assumption is, is that they're worth observing because they have already decided for themselves the first line of verse 17. They've already taken it upon themselves to decide to follow someone's example that's more mature than theirs. So again, the layers of spiritual protection that are offered to us here within this detailed observation are immense. They're manifold. They're manifold to helping one another spiritually. Why? Remember, we're doing all this because whether we're going through a time of glory or in agony, we're going to do it together because the gospel and its advancement is worth it. Right? It's not just in the observing, the logging, the protecting, and the helping. It's in the advancing. All this has to be done so the gospel can be advanced with integrity. Its content can be protected and its advancement ensured. Content protected, advancement ensured. All because of what's happening here. So we observe with detail. I want you to write in the margin of your Bible here, Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Paul uses that word there for a completely opposite reason. He's saying here, observe the spiritual ones in Philippians 3.17, but he's saying in Romans 16.17, and we won't go there this morning because we just got, t- got done wrapping up two years of a study of the book of Romans. But he's saying there, Watch out for or observe those who walk contrary to the tradition of the doctrine that I've given you. Okay? So we have coyotes that seem to be growing in our community, right? You probably have them in your backyard too. Well, they, they keep growing in our community. Well, we, have, we don't have a lap dog, but she's not a German shepherd either, right? I don't know what she is, but she's about 12 pounds, and she's as naive as they come. Right? I can't grab her little cute face and say, now Macy, there's big bad coyotes out there, sweetheart, and they love to eat little doggies like you, right? So just, okay, I understand. Dogs don't compute like that, right? So what am I doing before we let her out the back door? I'm watching with detail, right? Great detail, because I like my dog. Okay, like to have her around for a little while longer. And we send her out in her naivety, and so far God's protected her. But um, three weeks ago, one dog in our city wasn't so fortunate, as you probably read in the paper. 
It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul asks the believers to watch out with particular detail for the doctrinal bad guys, if you will, for the protection of the church. And we do so, why? Because we protect what we love. Who we love. So there's two sides of the understanding of observation in Paul's writings. We, we, we observe with particular notice and we log those patterns so that we can protect what we love. And then we also observe with particular detail those around us who are walking with the Lord, who are following someone more spiritually sure they are so that we can do the same. Okay. It's fascinating to me. And I hope equally as fascinating to you. But again, remember, the the reality behind this word observe, let's make sure that we're paying cautious attention, we're logging with particular detail so that we can do something with the logged particular detail. We've got to do something with it. It's not just get informed, get informed, get informed, get informed, get informed, and wow, at least we're informed Get indoctrinated, get taught God's word, get taught God's word hundreds and thousands of times in your lifetime and just log it, just log it and you'll be protected. And the reality is, no, not really. Not really. The idea here is they understood, observe. It wasn't just a passive learning. The idea as the first century here would have heard it, it would have been an activation then upon what they had observed. And they would have been sharing it. They would have been doing something with it. With somebody else. Again, all of this is unto an end again of observing those who are regularly walking according to the pattern. The pattern, uh, the word here is... um, Really, they would have understood it as a model of behavior. A model of behavior. Notice the detail that Paul speaks generally, join us, right? Mimic us. It's not too general mimic. but Make it a choice of yourself to mimic us and following our example. By observing those who are around you who are doing the same, with the idea that you're going to put in action that which you have observed and written down to help someone else do the same. And then he says, remember these people around you are still walking according to the model of behavior that they had in us. That they had in us. Cross-reference here next to this word pattern, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6. Go with me there as we, as we close this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's interesting to me here that the Apostle Paul again uses a negative example to highlight this word he used in a, is a positive context in Philippians 3. We'll begin to get a little context up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. He says here in his first letter to the Corinthians 4, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized in the moment into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. 
Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things happened as what? Examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. There were people who were wilderness wandering in the Old Testament who decided to spiritually go their lives alone without God and without the spiritual advice of those who were more mature than they. Would you agree? And what happens here? They were laid low. God snuffed out their influence. And he says, Paul says here negatively, remember this negative example. Notice the detail that was given in verses 1 through 5. Remember the detail. Log it to protect so it doesn't happen to you. But he says over in chapter 3 and verse 17 of Philippians what? Remember the example that you had in us and make it a choice to follow it in your own life and in your own heart. Folks, this is just what the New Testament believer does. So all those times in 1 Thessalonians where we said, don't go this alone. Don't go this alone. That's exactly what it meant. Don't go this alone. I want to put some things up here on the screen here real quickly. We're going to walk through them here for our last eight minutes together as we close. We try to always close by 1135 for those of you who are guests. All right. I want to talk with you this morning. We talk about disciple making or discipleship. Philippians 3.17, I wanted to start with the detailing of that text because that's what that is. Discipleship is learning from somebody else so that you can do what? Go out and reproduce what you've learned from them in somebody else. Just like we said, God didn't create anything or anyone in his natural created order to ever exist alone and have success. So he doesn't in our church either. So I want to tell you what disciple-making, really, spiritual reproduction, like we see here in Philippians 3.17, is not. Okay? All right. To make sure that this is on. Maybe we'll go through it next week and we'll close early. Here we go. It's not a program. Disciple-making is not merely bound up in Sunday school or youth group or college and career or maturity matters or a missions trip. All right? It's not bound up in one single good program or opportunity to learn God's word. It's not merely teaching. Discipleship is not you coming here and just learning the word of God. Remember, it's learning, it's observing, and then it's doing what? It's influencing somebody else, okay? It's not merely reaching. It's not just witnessing to somebody. Some of you might say, well, I'm a whole lot more comfortable handing out the gospel and telling people about Jesus than I am sitting down and talking to somebody about the Bible. I really don't know if that's in my comfort zone, right? It's not in my gift set, my skill set, right? Well, it's not merely teaching someone and it's not merely reaching somebody, okay? Disciple-making is not merely discipleship, there's a lot that's gone on in the last 15 to 20 years that many of you that have known Christ a long time have read as being discipleship. And that's really learning that's done in small groups. Nothing, done, nothing wrong with learning that's done in small groups as long as the Bible is the centerpiece of that learning. But it's not an end to itself if we understand Philippians 3.17. The silver bullet for a lot of church growth in the last 15 to 20 years has been small groups. Some of you, you've heard that, small groups. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Small groups is not merely or exclusively the answer. 
that's small groups, okay, are partially in Philippians 3.17, but they don't demonstrate the whole of Philippians 3.17. Right. Okay? Disciple making is not bound up in a volume or a class. Last week we handed out to you in the morning service that which I hope you keep in your Bibles. And if you don't, go home and put it in your Bibles. We handed out to you a whole life, right? Opportunity for you to learn the Word of God from somebody so that you can train someone to know the Word of God. One life to a life for life, right? So it's not bound up in one particular time, short time period or one volume. Its responsibility is never laid on a mission board, a parachurch organization. It's never laid upon a college or an institution or a school. Disciple-making is given to the local church. We saw that here in Philippians. That was a local church. The word of God's given to us. It's given to us. But what is it? It's a normal local church, individual responsibility that God the Spirit empowers as Christ builds his church. Look at those words very carefully one at a time, if you would. Okay? Do you see those words emerging now back in Philippians 3.17? It's normal, it's individual, it's something the Spirit of God empowers as Christ builds his church, right? It is each saint shouldering the responsibility to spiritually reproduce themselves in somebody else. Okay? It is the commitment of a life to another life for life. And it requires that the pastor be the chief disciple maker. If the pastor's not personally motiv motivated to both observe someone more mature than him, learn from them so that he can do the same with somebody else. And if he's not motivated to find someone in the community that needs Jesus and lead them to Christ, guess what? The church is not going to be motivated to do. You see what I'm saying? So it's always got to start with this guy. And then our pastors, and then our elders, and then our deacons, and our leadership all the way down. And then the flock becomes a family around Philippians 3.17. Takes a long time to grow a family, doesn't it? This is not a fast process, my friends. All right, it's a very difficult process. There's a chart here that you can't see, but I'll point it out to you. All right? This is something that our staff is developing together. The program versus relationship and process. The program, what does it do? It's a clean start. It has a crisp end. It's measurable accomplishment in minimal time. It trains people to serve for a limited time. It's a few giving the word to many, and then it's done. Always needs to be reworked and tweaked to grow participation. It results in hollowed uh, success. We did uh, what we did actually. What did we actually accomplish for Christ? But what's relationship in process? It's one life to a life for life. It's success. It can take decades. It trains people to serve for a lifetime. Many training, many, and then repeat it again. And then relationships grow, and the results are what we find in Revelation chapter 2 that John, the Spirit of God, wanted Revelation to enjoy. They did it one time, but they stopped this relationship reproduction, and then uh, they failed. Okay? So, a program has measurable accomplishments. Let's take these classes. It trains people to serve for a limited time. A few individuals giving the word to many. And it's never repeated then, or very often not repeated. Always having to be reworked, tweaked, or even being given, uh, or even being uh, one and done, trying to gain participation or the realization that there will be no participation. And 
hallowed success. What did we actually accomplish for Christ? This is where most of the churches that we're familiar with have been living for years. And like I said last week, 95% of churches like us in our country are plateauing or declining. Right? Nothing wrong with programs, nothing wrong with any of this, but it's not com- comprehensively represented in Philippians 3.17. Are you with me? Okay. So, a relationship and process. Success can take decades. It trains people to serve for a lifetime, one life to a life for life. Many individuals training other individuals, disciples making disciples, biblical disciple making uh, naturally grows. And the results in the first thing of Revelation chapter 2, getting back to their first love and doing the first things, which is disciple making. That's relationship and process. And how did Jesus, how did Jesus uh, demonstrate this in the way he lived? This is the way we have been doing disciple making. Let's get people to attend. Let's get thousands to attend, hundreds to attend. Right? If you build it, they'll come. Then we'll get them to connect and then we'll get them to serve, and then we'll get them to go. And this is what we got. What's Jesus' approach? It's not program, it's relationship. Starts with three, goes to 12 ordinary men, goes to 70, then 500. And you guys know the biblical process. Those of you who are newer to Christ, you're not familiar with it yet, that's okay, we'll try to help you understand it. But those of you that know the word, right, Jesus starts the opposite of that. Okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 12, 70, 500 you're familiar with, and then go into all the world and make disciples. Okay. And Jesus' upside down strategy discipling the few is slow, discipling the few is hard. Are people complex? I am. Discipling the few is limiting. Discipling the few demands a lot from me. But I can't give what I don't possess. And that's what Paul's saying here in Philippians 3.17. I can't offer somebody that which I don't have. And if I don't have it, it's probably because I haven't been following someone who does. So it's really good for all of us to draw the circle on ourselves... And I would ask you to join, as Paul asked the Philippian people, join in following the pattern. Join in following the pattern. This is not a silver bullet. This is not a product of quick growth. I've already said it's slow, it's agonizing, it's hard, but it's around the Word of God, it's around Jesus, and it's so worth it. Amen. It's so worth it, and we do it together. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of your word. We've lost the practicality of its simplicity in so much in-depth teaching, which is wonderful. But Lord, what, what good is an in-depth teaching if we can't give it hands and feet in our own personal lives? I pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, influence each one of our hearts to, to just examine where we're at in this whole process. If we're a part of it, to increase more and more. If we're not a part of it, even to decide to to join the process and give us wisdom as pastors just to shepherd the flock patiently and lovingly and clearly, intentionally, unto this end.
so that we might see growth, whether times are glorious or times are agonizing. We would not go this alone, grow each other in the faith, all for the advancement of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen.